the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 181, recorded Friday, February 6th, 2015. Trojan Horses. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. This is AV, your weekly wrap-up of audio, visual, news, and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. Welcome. Thank you so much. If you're watching live on Friday afternoon, thank you for joining us. With us this week is Mr. George Tucker, Engineering Coordinator for World Stage. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine. A little snowed in, but it's nice to be home today. It, it, well, it, it is. You look very nice. Uh, if you're watching the video, George has a nice little um, uh, bookcase behind him. Manned space flight for some reason. So, uh, yes, from Casa Tucker, yes. Ca- yeah, <laughs> never mind. Uh, also <laughs> with us is Peter Brown from Stewart's Field and Screen. How are you, sir? Uh, looking for a fun afternoon. It's uh, warm and uh, sunny here in Southern California. What What is the temperature there? Seventy degrees always. Seventy degrees always. Good lord. Uh, <laughs> someone who's not seventy degrees, but all four of us, all three of us, will be hanging out with. Next week is Mr. Mike Blackman from Integrated Systems Events. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. I'm here in, um, well, a little bit dark now, but it was sunny this afternoon in Amsterdam. We're just moving in, and um, yeah, when I arrived, it was about zero degrees centigrade, so I don't know what it converts to in Fahrenheit. 32. Oh, there we go. <laughs> The only one I know. Off, one. The only one I know off the top of my head. like thirteen Exactly. That one and what is it? A hun- <laughs> is it isn't isn't a hundred boiling water? So that's two twelve. Is that right? That's correct. There yes, you go. Correct. So uh, yeah. zero and a hundred, I can convert relatively quickly. So <laughs> uh, actually, uh, Mike, we're going to we're all all three going to see you next week uh, at ISE twenty fifteen Integrated Systems Europe at the beautiful RAI in uh, in Amsterdam, which is where you're now, you are now. Uh, real quickly, right? So uh, one thing that we've been talking about, honestly, ever since uh, AV Nation uh, was, was blessed enough and lucky enough uh, to get to go, and, and our, our Kickstarter people helped us out, is, is why this matters, right? And, and not, um, not from the standpoint of, yes, it's the biggest AV show in the world, right? You, you, several years yeah. ago, uh, ISE bypassed Infocom as as the most attended show. Uh, you know, Correct. it also has more more uh, more uh, uh, exhibitors there. But from a standpoint of, of for the industry, right? Whether you are in Europe or you're in India or you're in the U.S., what's what's uh, what makes ISE special? Well, you know, it's it's when we started this show, and um, you, you mentioned Infocom. We are owned by CD and Infocom. Mm-hmm. It's a joint venture between the two organisations, uh, so you know they have no worries about us being bigger now. <laughs> uh, um, but uh, you know, it's one of those things where when we started the show back in two thousand four was the first show. We started the event or the planning in two thousand three, and two thousand four we made the first show in uh, Geneva. And the concept was to actually make something for the industry, by the industry. And it's obviously we've done the right thing. 
Um, all the major manufacturers participate because they want this show to happen. They want a place where they can get together and network. They want a place where they can uh, meet their customers, uh, where they can show new products. It's got to the stage now that all the new product launches in Europe happen at ISE. Okay, we have an advantage on the display manufacturers all coming straight from CES uh, and bringing everything new from uh, the US uh, here a couple of weeks later. Uh, and that's been a benefit for us as well. Um, a double whammy for, uh, for all those companies involved. Yeah. But yes, the industry wants it, the industry loves it, and we listen to them, we do what they want, and um, they put it as the most important thing on their calendar. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it does give it a nice um, midpoint, right, between between Infocom and Cedia, which are the, are the Correct. two main yeah. ones here uh, in, in the States. So, uh, And, you know, one, one of the things we say to everybody is all shows are, in, all three shows are important. Mm -hmm. There are different times of the year. There are different, the products you'll see in Europe are not the same products you'll see in the US. There are differences. There are products that uh, you have in the US that you just don't see here and uh, vice versa. So, you know, it's necessary for the industry for everyone to actually pay attention to all of the shows if they want to keep ahead of the market. And we're six months from each of those events. So it's, it's, it really lies well in terms of keeping ahead of the market. The manufacturers have the opportunity three times a year to bring new things out and meet their community. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one thing that you guys have going on, uh, the, our, our guys that, that, that uh, review apps, reviewed your app. And so can you talk a little bit about how that works and, and how folks get it? It's a, it's a free app on both Android and, uh, and the iOS system. Um, but what, yeah. what can people do with it? You know, one of the things that, um, firstly, why do we do an app? Um, you know, ISE has got bigger and bigger, and um, it's it's hard to navigate without the right tools. So we decided we need to actually create tools for our attendees and our exhibitors to be able to meet with each other, to be able to find each other, to find their way around the show, to get access to everything that's available. So we experimented, and this year we started with a new app, I was in the US in um, August and uh, I met a company called Double Dutch and um, they showed us, uh, funny, we were in Holland and they're called Double Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, they have an office here as well, uh, fortunately enough. And um, they showed us this app that we, I was just blown away with. Firstly, um, the navigation part of actually having a floor plan that you can actually use. You know, one of the problems with it, if you have a small show, it's easy to put it on uh, any sort of portable device. But you can imagine most people are not, they're not walking around with tablets. They're walking around with iPhones or um, Samsung phones or whatever. Um, and seeing a floor plan from a large exhibition on something like that is quite uh, uh, deterring. Uh, but they showed us something that really worked, a plan where you get an overview and you can zoom and see detail. So that's the first part, to actually be able to find where you are, navigate around the show. Second part is the exhibitor list. You know, find out who's at the show, a complete listing of all exhibitors um, with details, their booth numbers, contact data, etc. all in that. Um, then uh, the other parts are the conferences, the education, everything's being offered by CEDA and Infocom, and there's a whole uh, row of certification, uh, training education coming from both associations at the show. You could take CTX uh, exams here. Um, uh, you know, everything's available. You can see this online as well. So if you go to um, iseurope.org, you can find all the detail there or um, go to the uh, app store either in Android or OS and download the app and you get the data as well. It's free. Um, 
And then we added some other tools there as well. And a key part I thought was really good is the networking. One of the things we've always said at ISE is that what brings people to exhibitions is not only the fact to come and see new products and new information and you know just get up to date, but to meet your peers, to find out who else is doing business, get a feel for the market. Are you doing as well as you think or should you be doing better? Um, and to be able to network. So we put a networking tool where you can actually connect with other people at the show. Um, just uh, you know, one of the big things that's coming out about apps at the moment, and in fact in every sector within um, the exhibition industry, within all industries, is gamification. And that's actually putting something into, you know, people like to play, people like to compete. Yes. Um, so, you know, we put a, um, um, a competition in there. It's a leaderboard. Basically, every time you make a comment, if you're using the app and sharing information, if you put in a comment, you get a point. If you put in a photo in, so you've seen something nice at a booth, seen something that you haven't seen before, and say, wow, I'd like to share that. You take a photo with your phone and post it to the app. You get two points. Um, if you go to the booth of uh, XUnity, who's uh, one of the sponsors there, you'll actually get 20 points. And basically, at the end of every day, the person who's top of the leaderboard gets, well, top three, actually, not just the top one, the top three people, there is a phone available, there is a, an, a tablet available, and um, a multimedia TV box available. Uh, and we're giving, the XUnity are giving away those every single day of the show. Those people are participating and competing on the leaderboard. And if you go there now, you'll see a lot of people already in there. They're putting comments in, they're excited about the show, they're giving comments about how the app's working for them, and um, by far, this is the best app we've ever had. Yeah, if you, if you look at the leaderboard now, if you go and, and download it and, and, and look at the leaderboard, currently it's Tanya Houston, uh, one of your, your ISE folks that helped us all out, out a lot, Stephanie Hanel, uh, is, yeah. is at the top. She's not at the top. She's, she's close to the top. But yeah, and you're on there too. You're in like fifth place. Yeah, but I, I'll hold back because I don't want to win. <laughs> It'd be embarrassing if I won that. <laughs> I'll tell you what, there's there's a, a guy that's coming with us who is, in, in my mind, he's he's a Twitter and, and social media master. His name's Chris Neto. Um, actually, last year at Infocom, he broke Twitter. Uh, oh. they, they t he, he tweeted so much about... We won it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you, yeah, you, he, he, he may very well in, uh, end up winning all three days. So, But yeah, that that's well, kind of neat. Actually, Tim, you can tell him you can link our app to your Twitter, to your Facebook, mm -hmm. uh, and your Google accounts, and it will actually post to those accounts simultaneously. All right. Well, I'm 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 not I'm not kidding. <laughs> he, he may very well he may very well he may break your app, Mike. <laughs> if, if he does, I apologize in advance. Um, he, I don't know. He may be watching this at this at, at some point, so he may, he may actually call in. Yeah. So. Um, I mean, we would welcome comments coming back because we want to improve this in the future. The idea is not to just to create a game. The idea here is to create a tool that makes attending the exhibition and uh, being part of ISE really work for you. We want to make it easy for – it's a big show. Um, we're a three-day show, and three days is not around enough to get around. We have over a 1,000 exhibitors. What next year are you doing four years? Or four years. Well, like four, four days. Four, <laughs> four years. Four years of a long time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going to four days. Trade show. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to four days because uh, there's demand from both exhibitors and attendees. Um, you know, there are a lot of people come to just for one day, but it's not enough. If you're focused, you say, "Well, okay, I just want to see um, 
perhaps unified communication, and I want to see some of the solutions on that. You might be able to actually do that in one day, but if you want to have a broader view of the exhibition and see more uh, solutions, more more technologies, then you need more time. And um, three days for a thousand exhibitors is not enough. Yeah. Um, so we've extended to give those people a chance, and more so because of the number of people coming to the show. Last year, we hit over 51,000 attendees to the show. Um, at present, the pre-registration, we're running something like 27% ahead of where we were at this time last year. Wow. Now, that'll tail off a little bit, um, and uh, on Monday, we'll give out uh, some figures, and obviously on Thursday, um, or on Monday, on Tuesday, sorry, Tuesday okay. morning, we, we tend to announce what our pre-reg is. On Thursday, we'll tell you how many people actually attended. But it looks like, you know, we're going to hit another record. Um, and, uh, you know, we think it's phenomenal. And um, with that, you know, the show is getting too crowded. So we have a responsibility towards uh, our attendees and our exhibitors on the factor of safety and uh, not letting the halls get too crowded. So we need to spread that volume over... Uh, at least one more day to give people that comfort feeling. Yeah. Well, Peter, Peter Brown from from Stewart, you guys are, are one of the people, one one of the exhibitors. Um, from from you guys' standpoint, uh, Stewart Film Screen um, does film screens, honestly, all over the world. So, how important is is ISC to you guys? It's one of the three. When, <laughs> when Michael says it, there are there are three big shows for the year. It's a, it is a critical show for a company like Stewart Film Screen. It's great, too. It combines the two key segments for us. I mean, we've got a commercial marketplace that we build a lot of screens for. We have a consumer marketplace, a residential space that we work with. So it, it suits perfectly for us. It's, it's a great venue. It'll be my first trip, too. I mean, I'm, oh, very good. I'm actually looking forward to it. Stewart Film Screen has exhibited there for many, many years. Actually, but, uh, Peter, you're you're one of our founding exhibitors. You've been there from the very start since Geneva in 2004. Thank you. Good to know. And we're looking forward to what we can accomplish at this show. We're we're geared up. Uh, we've been working pretty much round the clock. Uh, we've got we've got press releases going out. We've got uh, all the product starting to get set up as we speak. And we've got new products to launch and a lot of people to see. Uh, presentations to give. We're going to turn it into not just uh, uh, an exhibit on the stand, but we've created a destination location for the Stewart booth. And so we've invited uh, some some partners to come and give presentations about topics related to the industry. And we've invited our distributors to come and speak out in their language, uh, giving presentations on new products and new technologies. So there will be a whole multilingual uh, atmosphere in, you know, or on, is it in or on the Stewart stand? Michael? Uh, yeah, um, we would say on. <laughs> okay. So on the stand, we will have a multilingual environment. It's going to be a lot of fun. Well, let me ask Peter first, you and then, and then Michael, you. you. Um, do you save things? Do you, do you gear some of your product releases for the three different shows? Is that, you know, um, so do you have things? You know, that you know that's coming down the pipeline and you're like, well, let's kind of hold off on that and release that at ISE or let's, let's, let's kind of, you know, tweak this a little bit and make sure it's ready for Cedia. Or is it just pretty much as the product develops, the next show is when we release it? Well, we use the shows as a, a key strategic 
launching point. So if something might have been ready, let's say we're working on a new technology yeah. and it was ready, gee, in December, and we all looked at each other and said, hmm, well, I guess we've got all the I's dotted and the T's crossed. It's ready to go. We would still wait till ISE. Yeah. We would we would hold it back because we want to make the biggest splash. Um, but also from a from a planning standpoint, we look at the dates of these shows and it becomes part of the milestone process in development that that as an engineering and marketing groups look at their their tasks are geared towards delivering on time to to these different segments so that we can we don't miss a window yeah mike, mike think, uh, go ahead yeah i um, you know uh, tim it's uh, i agree with what peter says and uh, we've seen you know the first couple of shows that wasn't the case for us but uh, as isc's become more and more successful and more important in the market we find that majority um, of the companies, these thousand exhibitors, are actually gearing their R&D to fit in with the shows. Um, and, you know, they look at uh, points uh, which where they can actually get the maximum uh, press exposure. Um, and shows are where the press come. Shows are where the key buyers come. And, you know, you can't, you can't achieve the same thing so effectively if you try and do it outside. So, yes, they do it. Um, I mentioned already that uh, the display manufacturers, they, a lot of them are actually, they, they find that, uh, you know, we're on the R&D cycle for most of the major Japanese and Korean companies now mm. uh, because they pull us in. They've got a four-week span where they get the North American market and the European market uh, by going to CES for um, the consumer products, and a lot of them are similar, and then they bring it, uh, they ship everything over here directly from Las Vegas to Amsterdam, and they're showing new products. Um, when it comes to those companies in the, specifically in the AV sector and uh, not uh, you know, um, very much just consumer products, they are gearing their R&D to the major shows, which uh, an ISE is the show in Europe for them. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's not just, the one thing I learned last year, um, I, in my real job, I'm a design um, engineer as well as I run a programming house. Last year, Biamp, you know, audio DSP company released a significant shift at ISE, but it had it had a broad spectrum effect, right? And they 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 took their big Tessera server and they squashed it down to a one rack unit device, and they called it the Tessera Forte. They released that at ISE, right? This was something that that was nowhere in on anybody's radar come Infocom uh, of the previous year, or even at, at Cedia. You know, that not that they really delve in the in the residential market. But it was a significant launch for something that not just affects the European market, but it, it was an entire, not an entirely new, but a, a, a new product line, but a, a significant shift in their product line, right? That they used ISE as a launching point, and I thought that was kind of cool. So. Well, I think also it fitted, uh, you know, our attendance fits to them, but um, more so as well, if you're doing a product launch, we're seeing, one of, one of the things we see at ISE now is more and more of the North American um, Chinese and you know, Asian press uh, are coming to ISE. So it's not just the Europeans who are here. Uh, you're coming now, which is great. <laughs> uh, um, but, you know, we've got on the radars of uh, most major publishers, um, and um, it just uh, adds to the effect of actually making a product launch. Michael's got it really quite right. It's, it's not just a European platform. It is a global platform. So when we come to ISE, products that, that 
don't have to be just European in nature. This this allows us to communicate across the entire globe. American press and Asian press do pick up on all of the activities. So it's it's one. It's why I say it's one of the three real points of the stool that you sit on and you and you you take to to the market. It's it's a great event in that respect. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, well, th- Mike mentioned the the Japanese manufacturers. One of the stories we have this week happened to deal with that very thing, and uh, this comes to us from Market Watch. Japanese TV makers uh, are retreating from overseas markets, quote unquote. Uh, this comes to them, uh, quote, Japanese TV makers suffering from a steep drop in sales reflected in earnings reports Tuesday from Sharp and Panasonic are pulling back from overseas markets where they struggle to compete with rivals from South Korea and China. Now, I haven't seen this, but so this was literally news to me. Uh, Mr. Tucker, we'll, we'll kick this off with you. First of all, do we believe this? And secondly, what's what's the impact? Well, I absolutely do believe it. Uh, they also mentioned in the Wall Street Journal article about Toshiba, Pan- I, said, I think you said Panasonic and mm-hmm. Sharp were among those. Um, they're scaling back for domestic only because of the heavy competition from China and South Korea. Yeah. Uh, this is a classic story of undercutting. Uh, I don't know if there's anything to be said to if they're doing it illegally or you know with malice, but there is a labor and cost to product to market ratio going on here that Japan just can't do anymore. Uh, they're having a bad economy as it is. They're still struggling to come out of inflation and what happened to them a number of years ago. Uh, you know, what in addition to the world uh, recession, they were having their own problems prior to that. Yeah. Uh, so it really does come down to that. And as what it means here, you know, they were saying they were selling some of their lines in uh, Indonesia and in some parts <laughs> of India and stuff. So I think you'll see some stuff probably branded under their name, but it may not be the insides. But at this time and this age, how many products do we know are not really, at least in the consumer market, are not yeah. really the name branded on the outside? It's a product built by someone with maybe a daughter board, packaged and labeled. Yeah. Uh, so as to whether we see a, you know, it's like Gold Star or um, I can't imagine, Magnavox or something going away completely, I'm not so sure that'll happen yet. I mean, if I can pitch my part, you know, this is well, I can give you my view from Europe and um, you know, what George said already, uh, it is a price issue. Um, you know, the Japanese products are, have a very good quality, and um, uh, if you if you talk to Europeans, and that's the only view I can give, um, they will, you know, you talk to them about the Japanese products, and they always um, associate that with quality. But the Korean products are coming in also with quality and much cheaper. Um, and in the consumer markets you've got at the moment where repairs don't happen anymore, I had a TV uh, go wrong, and um, there was a little um, uh, blemish on the front of the of the screen. And uh, I called the manufacturer, and they said, "Oh, we don't repair those anymore. It's not worth it. We just swap out the whole TV." So you start to look and say, "Okay, you know, if you're going to change your TV every year, every manufacturer is trying to bring something new. Uh, this year, it's um, it's 4K and curved. So you know, if I'm going to change my TV every year, am I going to spend a lot of money on it?" No, absolutely. I don't think so. And, and this is what the, most consumers look at. Look at. Well, and the other they thing they have is, come down in price. Ahead, There's Peter. no question. It, it it became a price challenge. I have in my history, uh, Tim. I can count three companies that I've worked for in my tenure that have all exited, or if their names are in the marketplace now, 
um, in North America, they're not manufactured by those companies. They are, in fact, um, using their name as a marketing handle, but someone else is making the product. Price competition is, is certainly a, a factor, and the idea that they're going to roll back to the Japanese market, kind of hunker down in their home markets, that's where their brand names are strongest. Um, there's certainly an affinity within Japan for the companies um, with their consumers who would prefer to buy locally. And as well, many companies had a history of, of spending more money in their home markets on their marketing than they did in the overseas markets. And in a sense, allowed uh, aggressive competition to come in where price became solely the factor. It's also a nature of the North American market where, where price does seem to be a lot more of a factor and good enough is considered good enough um, it's become much more difficult in, in particularly the residential world for the, the, the AV integrators to express those incremental advantages of the better products, and it became more and more difficult over the years. It's becoming more and more difficult for con the pro market to say that those same things, because when you have a 50-inch display and it's labeled as commercial, quote-unquote, or pro, it's typically, you know, two or three times the price of a, of a residential or a, a consumer grade one. And the CEO or the CFO wants to know what the biggest difference is. And, and when you can't articulate that nine times out of 10, they're going to go to Best Buy or they're going to go to Walmart or Amazon and buy it. And then you are left, you know, dealing with, you know, a consumer grade product. So uh, it, it's hard even, you know, in, in the in the pro market to, to make, make sure that the, the customer understands what they're paying for. Um, well, Tim, it's the same thing we see with the touchscreens with mm -hmm. the BYOD. There, I said it right for the first time on the Thank show. You. The BYOD. <laughs> it's with that I have to start drinking my own beer while we're on the show because that's what I always say. Um, the the <laughs> Apple iPads, the Android pads, they were becoming the de facto touchscreen interfaces. Yep. It's all about price and ease of uh, accessibility, and it is about that disposable nature. I don't have to wait for it to be repaired. They just swap it out. Thanks. And whether you agree with that or not from an uh, environmental set, that's what's happening. Price is driving everything and even on the pro side, except for, say, like you used to do, education market or really high-end cinema type stuff. They don't want to wait. They want the part in. They don't want to replace the whole caboodle because the cost of that is not really effective. But, yeah, it's the nature of the market at the moment. Yeah, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. uh, well, we're going to talk about one of these uh, Japanese makers because they did spend some money, right? Uh, Panasonic has acquired Video Insight. And uh, according to CI, according to Commercial Integrator, um, it's to reach into the education market, quote unquote. Now, the only problem I have with that is that Panasonic's already in the education market as far as, as, far as projectors. Uh, but Peter, we'll, we'll kick this off with you. What, from, from your standpoint, and, the, and, and Peter is not employed by Panasonic, he's not on their board of directors, so I'll, I'll lead with that. But what do you think the thinking is here? What's, uh, what's the idea behind going after Video Insight? The first thing that <clears throat> first thing that was reported anyway was it was part of um, their diversification and expansion strategy. Panasonic has reported to its you know, stockholders, to its board of directors, that it wants to reach, and I forget what the figure is, but a certain top line um, turnover number. Um, and in adding uh, companies, that's one way to grow. Certainly, yeah. so from a financial perspective, you bring in more revenue. They're, they are in the, the educational market. They're strong there uh, with their projectors and a number of other types of products. Adding Video Insight 
and giving them uh, this type of, of video integration and, and control, um, it, it also helps them vertically integrate. And, and that's always an important factor um, with anyone like, like a, a Japanese company, especially. They love vertical integration. They like to be able to have a solution from soup to nuts. Uh, George, uh, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I'd, I'd agree with Peter there as well. It, it's, it's a Trojan horse, horse approach. They're trying to diversify and get into that market. So, you know, sell them some software and then sell your hardware in the back of it as well. Why not? Yeah, that makes sense. I, I, I never thought about the, the Trojan horse part. Uh, Mr. Tucker, from your standpoint, what's, uh, what's the thinking of Panasonic buying these guys? Well, I think the, our guests have touched on most of it, and I think you can sum it up with they want the ecosystem. You said they were getting into the market that we're already in. What they want is the ecosystem. It okay. all is on the backbone. It's all the little pieces on it. Uh, you could call it the you know education Internet of Things, <laughs> the EIoT. Uh, that's what they're looking for is to get all of that in the data chain, just like Mike just said, just like Peter just said, you have that long tail of devices you can supplement and add and, you know, just tweak that profit margin just a little bit each time. Yeah, I like that. Uh, we're going to talk about another uh, Japanese manufacturer. Sony is getting into the 4K uh, market. Uh, this is from geek.com. Sony has promised to release a 4K capable PS4. Now, um, Last year, CES 2014 uh, was the year of 4K, right? This was when everybody and their brother came out. They had this display and that display. It was going to be the year of 4K, and it didn't quite happen. Uh, a buddy of mine uh, who works for, for uh, a control company and, and video company, uh, his name's Kevin, his biggest complaint when we were talking about this was that there was no content, Right. And it's a, it was the same complaint about 3D. It was the same complaint about HD. Good Lord, 14, 15 years ago now, right? Um, for the, those of us in the U.S., I, I still remember when uh, the show ER was broadcast in HD for the first time, right? That was the first big major milestone for content. And now you've got, depends on which provider and, and if you believe their marketing, you've got hundreds of HD channels you know, depend, at, at your fingertips. Same thing with 4K. Right, it, it it will get there as the displays, you know, uh, get better and better and, and less expensive. Then then we will stop uh, highlighting the hundreds of 4K uh, just, um, source uh, content sources. But this is one, right, uh, Mike? From from your standpoint, what what are you seeing, um, whether it's European market or other ones, from content uh, providers and the ability to show content and, and content sources? for all of these wonderful and great uh, 4K displays that we'll probably see next week? Well, you know, content, 4K content you're only seeing at the high end at the moment. It's, yeah, this uh, 4K com content coming into the cinema market must be great for Peter. Um, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, as you said already, it's the, there's not enough there. I, I can see the point where Sony's coming because once you start seeing 4K, the kids who are using PlayStations, and I say kids in inverted commas because, uh, you know, that uh, is a movable um, uh, number <laughs> uh, when it comes to gadgets like this, you know, you're going to start saying, well, actually, I want to see this in better quality. And I think PlayStation is probably one, one of the most successful or profitable parts of the Sony organization. Um, so if they're not going to satisfy demand, by delivering 4K content, 
and it probably the games market is going to be the easiest to actually deliver content in 4K than the TV market or the film market. It's going to be a lot cheaper to produce. Uh, I'm amazed. My son is, uh, you know, he spends. We have a home cinema at home, and um, he's he's down there with his his friends at the weekend, and they they play uh, on the PlayStation the whole time, and they want good quality. Um, I have to buy an expensive projector because it's for my kids, you know, because they want to play on the PlayStation. <laughs> their Sony strategy. Yeah. <laughs> because right now they're the only projector company with a true 4K device in it, um, and they're leading the way. They're very committed to 4K, which is, is you know, from a marketing perspective, not to put words in, in anyone's mouth at Sony. Uh, they're leading. They're strong at it. They believe in it. They do have the content element when you look at the overall corporate structure of Sony. They, they do want to bring, what shall it be, the chicken or the egg or the egg or the chicken first, but, but they, they definitely want to make sure they get their chickens and their eggs together. Yeah. Gaming, and the article that I saw had PS4 as, as, as the lead there, uh, Michael says it, gaming and writing the gaming content, it's a great way to get... 4K content delivered into the market, as well as making PS4 that foundational or gateway product um, where delivery may be better suited as we get higher and higher bandwidth speeds uh, to bring it through the internet rather than uh, the cable systems or others where the infrastructure could become an obstacle to getting this this content delivered into the American or European or, or wherever the, the other homes. Um, so we, we see it as a, a great move. Just to add, if, if anybody else walked through the South Hall uh, in the CES event last month, how much space is devoted to gaming? It's enormous. And, and we as a company look at that clearly to see this is a lifestyle trend. It's not just kids. No. Um, it, today it's Michael's kids, but they're, when they grow up, they're going to be playing games, and there are people... You know, all the way through the different age brackets that are that are big on games. So, you can see Sony using this as a strategy to reach out and put their their brand name in front of a lot of people and have their product become, a, 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 you know, the word is gateway. It becomes the the key part of the home. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, real quickly, George, before I get to you, uh, Mike, you you've got a, you have another appointment. Uh, well, I was just about to see your note, actually. <laughs> you, you have a cab waiting for you. So thank you very much for, for joining us. Uh, thank you, sir. We will the, see you next week. The shame is you, you're going to hit a subject uh, which um, I saw in the list of subjects. I'd huh? love to have made a comment, but sure. I'll throw it in now. Yeah. And that's, you're going to talk about the smartwatch. Yes. And um, I've been debating the whole time about do I get one of these. Now, I'm a watch fan. Uh, I buy expensive watches. I buy expensive watches and expensive cars because they're good investments. Um, but... Watches are becoming a fashion accessory. You actually don't need one. Yeah. You know, you've got a phone with you that tells the time, does everything, it takes pictures, and most people can actually survive with that. But they're becoming a fashion accessory. So I'm still torn. I don't know if I would buy a smartwatch. I'll chime in this way, and I'm one who doesn't wear a watch at all, Michael, and to keep okay. it short for your cab. <laughs> I, I'm just thinking ahead going, you know, if I didn't need to carry a phone and all I had to do was wear a watch and carry a tablet, am I going to be better off? Um, I can walk around ISE with my app on my tablet, but I can do all my telephone business on my wrist. Yeah. Well, that's. I mean, I'm still to be convinced. I'm waiting to see. 
Um, I'm sure I will test one. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a geek gadget, you know, a geek uh, fan. Um, I go for all the gadgets. Uh, I love to see it. I'm a technology freak. Uh, so I'm sure I'll get one just to try it out and just see where it is. But um, the jury's still out with me. <laughs> yeah, and, and I would I would agree with that. So, yeah. all right. But uh, thank you all. Thank you for the invitation. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to seeing you all in Amsterdam next week. Indeed. And um, anyone else who's listening, it'd be great to see you at the show and um, look forward to it. All thank right. you. All right. Thank you, sir. Thanks. Mike Bye-bye. Blackman from ISE. Um, all right, uh, Mr. Tucker. Um, mm. One thing that uh, you. So let's let's kind of break this up here. Peter mentioned this, right? Uh, and Mike kind of a little bit, a little bit. The infrastructure to get not gaming, right? Because so, gaming right now is a physical media that, or it's a download, what what have you. But to get the content, the 4K content into the home, let's call it you know streaming. That's that's what we're talking about here. Whether it's whether it's Netflix or Amazon or or, or YouTube, the infrastructure is going through some interesting trials and tribulations. Uh, this week, the head of the FCC said that he wanted to make uh, Internet a, a utility, uh, which is something that a, a number of us who watch this pretty much you know, uh, accepted as a foregone conclusion that he was at least going to attempt it. Mm. So with this 4K thing, this 4K train heading right for us, and the, the, the troubles that are going on in, in trying to figure out what the Internet is, where do people go that are trying to make this thing happen, trying to make 4K content and get it into the hands of the consumers? Um, do they go down the road of streaming and, and hope and pray that, that the infrastructure will be there with net neutrality and, and all the other things going on with that? Or do they lean more on the, on the physical media? Well, streaming certainly is going to rely on FCC's application of Title II. Uh, and to hearken his name again, Mr. Josh Schrago on a sound reason and on Aviation has a bunch of articles and videos about the implications of that and which way they would turn and what the implications on each were. So to anyone who's really interested in that, I think he's a great starting place. In fact, he's probably a good place to get a lot of information about all that. Um, to that end, so streaming, Title II has to be a utility in some ways or have that net neutrality uh, established. As to the the games... You know, I mean, gaming is, is a funny thing. I've seen very few games that are in 4K. I don't think a lot of consoles are going to really apply HDCP 2.2, <laughs> which is a big craw in the, uh, in the um, how do I say this, the application and acceptance of 4K content, native 4K content at least. Uh, and if you don't know what it is, 2.2 HDCP requires the 2.2. You can't turn it off, that kind of stuff. Uh, and it's a big problem, I think, for a lot of integrators. There's not going to be receivers that do it. There's not going to be uh, a lot of professional stuff that will be able to get rid of it. So you're in a quandary here about how that really gets applied. I still think it's going to be shaken out. And, you know, 4K is great, but if they start messing it with like this and you don't have the gigabit throughput that you need and you have the HDCP 2.2 applied in a way that older consoles can't get at least even an HD signal, you're going to be a loss-loss all the way around. Okay, so let me put my black hat on here for a second, okay? Uh, I thought my, I was wearing a black hat. My, my black hat hacker, <laughs> you know, thing. I am not a hacker by any stretch. You say that, that there's going to be receivers that can't get rid of this. There's receivers now that can get rid of HDCP. You're telling me right. that, that the smart people that made those won't be able, and I'm not condoning this, I'm just saying it's out there, right? They're, they're not going to be able to figure out 2.2? 2. 2? 
Well, from what I've been reading so far, they're trying to implement in a manner that it would be very, very difficult to sidestep it. Who, who's uh, I don't know all the technical it, who, parts of it yet, who, so forgive me. Who's you know, saying this? Is it the people that made 2.2? Well, you go on the forums, you go on the engineering forums about this stuff. 2.2 is supposed to be able to be even better copy protection. And it's supposed to be... Uh, it's the standard ways you do it now with HDMI connectors is supposed to be subverted. Yes, there'll always be some 14-year-old who'll hack it and get around it in some manner, but their intent is double down at this point. Ten minutes. Mm. I'm telling you, ten minutes. Give, I think this give. is more than just sort of covering the uh, the hole on the uh, on the coffee maker. Very you know? nice. <laughs> it's a little bit different. I you, is that Keurig? It's Keurig. Keurig. Or something? Yeah, yeah, if you yeah. don't know what he's talking about, the new Keurig has a thing, and you have to use their pods, and you just cover the hole in it. Well, it's like the old days of uh, of uh, the dual devices that companies would sell. You know, in the same box, it's either a Mach two or a Mach one, and it was just a jumper pin. (laughs) It's like uh, Steve Jobs and and Wozniak's blue box. You know that. Yeah. So yeah, there's always going to be a hacker out there. All right, Uh, Jeez Louise, we're going to get. There will always be content protection. There will always be arguments about content protection. There will always be solutions. We had this discussion when it came to HD and Blu-ray. All we have to do is remember that sound minds get together and eventually solve it. Uh, the content content world and the display world and the audio world and the consuming world, they'll come together and figure it out. We, My question, Peter, is how long will it take? <clears throat> And sometimes that could be a kill. Uh, I think last or two episodes ago, we talked about slow burn revolutions get swamped, mm-hmm. and they do. So if it's a slow burn revolution and something else becomes preeminent because you've been dragging your feet trying to haggle out, I mean, look at you know uh, DVD, was it HD DVD and Blu-ray? HD. Those are both formats that are basically dead, just like SACD or DVD AD, you know, audio. No one really buys them. They're still there, but really. They dragged that out for so long that it just became a non-issue. Everyone just went, oh, I'll stream. Sure. Well, and yeah. stream, streaming will be the solution for most of, of how we consume video and audio content. It's already almost there completely. But you know, just to add to the, to the muck that we have, we also have all the displays being shown already at 8K. Wonder what HDCP standard we're going to need for 8K. You know what, Peter? <laughs> I, I I liked you up until <laughs> no, and, and in all seriousness, I, I actually am a big fan of 8K. There's there's uh, one of my favorite stories from the past year was the fact that both the Japanese uh, public television and South Korean are broadcasting mm-hmm. 8K, right? Uh, At least un- for the Olympics, right? uncompressed, no, over the air, not not over satellite anything, over the air they're doing 8K. Yeah. Now, then, you know, people are going to ask, well, how far and what the content? You know, I don't care. It was freaking 8K, and they were doing it over the air. So, yeah, I, I, I seriously am with you on, on the 8K. So, Well, we think it's important for bigger and bigger displays, too, whether it's, whether it's a fixed pixel device or a projected image. Uh, you really do need more and more of, of, of 4K to 8K just to keep the image from, from looking pixelated. So from that standpoint, we have we all want to see it come to pass. Hopefully, the content and to, to George's point, uh, usually the answer is it will be too long if if it 
really has to be arbitrated through the way most things in our political system get arbitrated through. But fortunately, there is a uh, a profit motive behind mm-hmm. a lot of this, so it's going to get sorted out. Uh, here, here's 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 I'm going to show my ignorance of of screen technology. Is there anything you guys have to do different, or or do or or are there um, uh, opportunities with these higher resolutions when it comes to screen technology uh, that you guys can say, okay, cool, now we have a 4K signal, we can do this and this and this, or now we have an 8K signal, we can do this now that we couldn't do before. Well, the, the screen surfaces themselves have to be able to resolve that kind of resolution, which means they've got to be smoother. They've got to be um, better grade in order not to create uh, basically uh, kind of bad reflection off the screen surface that would come from something that isn't as smooth, something that is, is uh, if you looked at it under a microscope, would look more like the Rocky Mountains. Uh, yeah. You're going to diffuse the light off into all kinds of different places. So there are, there are things that you have to do within the screen uh, to get there, many screen companies have been working furiously to get to 4K um, and, and introducing and adding 4K product. Uh, do I get to put the pitch in um, the 4K since 1947? Um, but when we started our business, the Stewart Film Screen Company was building screens for a cinematic uh, experience, and they were they were building them for uh, the movie companies um, around 70 millimeter film. And, and about what that, that requirement was, whether it was for, for the backlit stuff that we were doing with uh, special effects or for front projection. So Stuart Film Screen's always been able to, to do that kind of resolution. We did the math on 70 millimeter and, and basically came out with, with 8 to 10K being kind of what the number would be if you were to translate film into, into pixels. So, yeah, there's things that screens need to do uh, to resolve that, it's it's something from an industry standpoint why we have everybody saying don't just project images on the wall. <laughs> yes. Uh, and come on, we want every corporate boardroom to stop using the wall as as the substitute for a good quality screen. Or, or a whiteboard, either one. Or, that that yeah. in education that's the worst. That that's the one that I it, it, when I'm designing systems that's one of the things and that's a can I just I'm gonna go off for it in a second that's the dumbest thing I think I I that I come across in dealing with wonderful end user clients is the fact that they start value engineering these projects and the first thing they look at is all of these screens well let's just take out all the screens because that's gonna save us the million and a half that we're over mm-hmm. right no it happens shouldn't no. No, it shouldn't. Uh, value engineering is a, is a good thing, and there's yes. a lot of places to, to save money. But when you think about it, and we talk about it with, with our clients and integrators, it's an infrastructure product. Mm-hmm. Screens of all the different elements in a system. We talk about total cost of ownership. The life of a screen it can be measured sometimes into decades. Uh, it, it shouldn't be the thing that gets value engineered out. Um, there will be technology changes in in projectors and there will be technology changes in other devices but you know we're begging and pleading every day don't value engineer us out no 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 absolutely not all right uh gentlemen that's going to do us uh for for today um george has bags to pack so uh, indeed (laughs) i do (laughs) peter uh real quickly um first of all thank you so much for coming on and, and for for uh giving us your insights for stuff 
first-time guest. It's really been. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, Good. Tim, very much. I, that that is that is my goal in life. Is that seriously? I I, I ask. I've told people before. I, I I'm the I'm the person who asks dumb questions to smart people. So, um, so how can people find you? And then how can people find uh, Stuart and you next week at ISE? Our stand is one F fifty. We're in the first hall. Okay. So right up front. Um, it was nice to hear from Michael that Stuart Film Screen has been a foundational brand at ISE. So we get a great location, and we will be there on a lovely uh, ten by fifteen meter stand. Wow. I will be there myself. They can find us at www.stuartfilmscreen.com. Right. Very good. They can find us on Facebook, and it's hashtag, or not hashtag, it's at Stuart Film for Twitter. At Stuart Film. At Stuart Film. At Stuart Film. Okay. Just want to make yes. sure. I don't, don't go to at Stuart Film Screen. Go to at Stuart Film. So. At Stuart Film, and they'll see our posts from ISE. All right. Maybe you'll make the leaderboard. Uh, um, and when a, when a phone, when a tablet, so I downloaded the app while we were on with uh, Mike earlier, and uh, it yeah, is a very good. App. Working on that, yeah, it is a very good app. I'm I'm very impressed with it. So, mm-hmm. uh, all right, Mr. Tucker, my roommate mm-hmm. for next week. Uh, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Yes, uh, good to be on. It was great to hear from guys at ESC. I can't wait now. Get a little nervous, but uh, I can't wait. Are you nervous about spending a week with me or about flying over the Atlantic Ocean? Which is worse? You know, all of my years you of know marriage what? and divorce, Shut I don't <laughs> And all of my years of marriage and divorce, I don't know how to answer that question. I'm having a political issue right there. Hmm. Where can people find you, Valdi? <laughs> they can find me anywhere on social media at Tucker Twos. That's T-U-C-K-E-R-T-U-E-S. Uh, I am with Commercial Integrator. I am with uh, a number of other magazines that I just can't think of right now. But you'll find me there. Just put my name. It'll pop up. Yes, it will. Along mm. with his mugshot. So... Uh, with the numbers numbers. take it easy in the red light district that's you know what if i've heard one pot joke since we got funded i've heard a thousand so (laughs) red light district you say anything about pot well it's the same isn't the same district never mind i don't know i don't want to know it's where you go for entertainment including having good legal adult beverages there we go or other legal things at your choices there's there's a heineken tour i've been promised so that's all i know uh, do you know what? Here's the thing. We've, we've got some, some cool stuff for those of you who are in the U.S. and are not going to ISC. Uh, please follow us next week. There's a ton of stuff we're doing. We've got booth tours. We're going to stop by Stuart Film Screen, their booth as well. We have a tweet up if you are going to Integrated Systems Europe. Uh, there's a tweet up on Wednesday. Uh, I just got a text from Mr. Neto. We are right at 100 people so far. So uh, get in there. It's happening at the HD Base T uh, uh, booth on Wednesday. I am chairing uh, a, a unified communications panel on Wednesday as well. Uh, so I'm taking the whole idea of I'm, I ask really smart people dumb questions uh, on the road to ISE. So uh, check that out. It's the, the UC Pavilion. Uh, but you know what? Let's start at the website because uh, that's where everything is going to funnel through. Avnation.tv. Avnation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others. We have a brand new technology wrap coming out uh, tomorrow. We've got uh, all kinds of shows. We've got our debate show, uh, a new ed tech coming down the pipe, uh, a new state of control coming down the pipeline. So, yeah, check that out if you would, please. Avnation.tv. Avnation.tv. The next time you hear and see us, it will be live from Integrated Systems Europe. And, again, thank you so much to our our Kickstarter uh, funders for helping that out. Thanks so much for watching. Thanks so much for listening. This has been AV Week.
Thank you.